If you have a Bible, I would invite you to turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. And this morning we'll be looking at verses 1 through 11 in that chapter. Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. And also, I would remind you, uh, the inside of the aisles are fellowship pads for you to sign to let us know that we're here. And you'll also see uh, in the fellowship pad that there's a place for you to actually place your email address. We're trying to make sure that we have an updated list of that. So if you want to include that there to make sure we can be in contact with you through email. Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Let's listen to God's holy and inerrant word. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Let's come now and ask for God to help us as we seek to understand his word. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, and as we often confess, we come from a number of different places, and you, you understand all those places, and you understand what we all need to hear this morning. And certainly, as we search your scriptures, we understand that the, the main character of all these stories is the Lord Jesus Christ. We confess that wherever we come from this morning, that we need him, that we need his righteousness. Father, we pray that we would hear your voice clearly this morning. We ask that you, by your spirit, would take up your word, that you would write it upon our hearts, that you would apply it to us in such a way that we cannot leave this place unchanged. Father, we come before your word this morning with a great humble confidence, humble that you are speaking to your people, confident that your word accomplishes the very purposes for which you set it forth. Give us ears to hear this morning and create in us the will to follow your voice, to follow you humbly, to follow you because of your grace and your mercy. It's in Jesus' name that we do pray. Amen. 
if you watch television, you probably have seen these <clears throat> commercials by a guy named Billy Mays. And um, as soon as his commercials start, you know, you know a couple of things. You know whatever he's selling is going to cost nineteen ninety nine, um, and you know that as soon as it starts, he's going to be yelling and screaming at you from beginning to end about whatever product it is. But you know, he sells all, all kinds of crazy products, and there was one that caught my eye recently, and it was called uh, Mighty Mendit, is what he's called. Maybe you've seen the commercial, but um, it's some kind of glue that's supposed to repair tears and, and fabric and, um, and, and rips and those sorts of things. So he, he screams at you, you know, that this product can mend all of your rips and tears, everything from leather to denim to lace, and he... He's talking about it and screaming about it, and you can fix the tear in your pants, and you can repair the furniture in your house, and so on. And to prove the strength of this product, they repair this parachute. And so, you know, they flip to a scene where Billy Mays is on this airplane, and he's got the microphone, and he's telling you they've repaired this parachute, and it's got enough strength to hold this parachute together. And then this guy dives out of the plane, you know, 13,000 feet, and um, the parachute holds, and he floats safely to the ground and you know I'm I'm probably a little suspicious of the reality of all that but you you just think about the guy that jumps out of that plane with the mighty mendit you know holding his parachute together and for him to jump I mean he's got to be sure that stuff's going to work um and you, you know I mean his life depends on it or else it's a 13,000 foot fall to a certain death. And, you know, what I'm saying to you is that he is, he sees this product and he is placing his confidence in this product. He's trusting his life with it. And, you know, as we come to this passage, I, I think that the question that really comes out at us from this passage is a very simple one. And it's this, where, where is your confidence? I mean, what are you trusting your life with? As we work our way through this passage, I want you to hear Paul working to shatter your confidence in yourself. To have your confidence in yourself shattered, you'll have to see in some ways that it isn't your sin that is your biggest stumbling block. That it's actually your righteousness. And I'll explain that as we go, but... is that's not all that's in this passage, because in this passage, the point is not simply for you to lose confidence in yourself. It's is that you would place your confidence in someone else, that you would place your confidence in Jesus and that you would rest in him. So here are the two points that I want us to c- consider this morning as we ask the question, where is your confidence? Is it in the flesh or is it in Jesus? It's confidence in the flesh versus confidence in in Christ. So here's the first point, confidence in the flesh. What does it mean and what does it look like to place your confidence in the flesh? I think that when Paul uses the word flesh, it, it may cause a problem for some of us because we've read many of Paul's letters and you think of all the places where he uses the word flesh and often it has sinful connotations, the sinful flesh. But the Bible actually uses the word flesh in a number of ways. In fact, in this passage, it uses it in a number of different ways. But here Paul is using the word flesh mainly to talk about the good things. I mean, flesh in the sense of what you and I can accomplish, the things that we can do and that we might be proud of. 
See, in this passage, Paul's writing to the Philippians about a dangerous, dangerous group of people. In verse 2, we're told, watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. He's talking about this group of people known as the Judaizers. And, and that's why you see the references to mutilators of the flesh and circumcision in this passage. Without going into too much detail here, these people were saying, you know, believing in Jesus is fine and good, but if you want to get in good with God, you need to beef up your resume a little bit more. It, to believe in Jesus was fine, they were saying, but you also need to add to your resume some other things, like circumcision. You see, Jesus wasn't enough. It had to be Jesus plus something else. But here's where I want to caution all of us this morning because we hear Judaizers and we hear things like circumcision and and we're kind of detached from it, you know. I mean, we say, okay, that's bad. You know, but what, you know, but you need to see that Paul's just just saying something very simple here. He's saying what makes these men dangerous And what makes these men evil is that they are proud of who they are and what they can do. That's the confidence in the flesh that he's talking about in this passage. Jesus plus me. See, it's saying, sure, we believe in Jesus and we really understand doctrine. It's saying, sure, we believe in Jesus and we really worship the right way. It's saying, sure, we believe in Jesus and you would never catch me there. Sure, we believe in Jesus, and I would never be caught doing that. It's just Jesus plus whatever, and that whatever, Paul is saying, is your real confidence. It's confidence in the flesh. See, so here, here's what Paul says to all of that, and this is the authorized Nathan Turkwee version. Um, to that he says, are you kidding me? <laughs> you know, I blow you guys out of the water with my resume. I mean, he's saying, don't talk to me about having confidence in what, in who a person is and what a person can do because I wrote that book. I mean, here in verse 5, if anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. And then he lists his resume. Again, this is hard because of the cultural distance. But when Paul says that he was circumcised on the eighth day, he's saying, I am not a convert to, to Judaism. He's saying, I was a Jew from the very beginning, and when he says he's of the tribe of Benjamin, he's saying, of all the houses of Israel, I'm from one of the tribes that did not leave, that stayed true to the house of David. And when he says that he's a Hebrew of Hebrews, he's saying, I'm not just a Hebrew on the surface. You know, I'm not a Hellenistic Jew. I'm not a Greek-speaking Jew. I am a Hebrew of Hebrews. And he refers to his being a Pharisee to refer to his incredible education that he had. He says he was faultless. I mean, he's saying of all of those rules, of all those laws that the Pharisees were required to obey, I did not break one of them. I was faultless. And when he mentions that he persecuted the church, he's just he's saying, look how zealous I am. I'm a leader among men. Let me tell you, it's like Paul is saying, here's my resume. Here are my three degrees from Harvard. Here's my Pulitzer Prize. Here's my Purple Heart. Here's my Man of the Year Award. I never missed Sunday school once. I always brought a meal to the fellowship uh, meal after church and never forgot that. Um, you know, I participated in every single mission trip. I was a professor in seminary and on and on and on. I mean, he's saying, this is a resume that's actually worth something. And I'm, I'm really not sure if I'm explaining all this extremely well, but right now, 
we should be feeling a little bit nervous because I think we're really getting at the problem that we face. It is not so much our sin, but our righteousness. Obviously, sin is a problem. Don't mishear me on this. But you've got to hear Paul saying, it's not so much the bad things in your life that keep you out of the kingdom and away from God's grace. It is the good things that keep you out. It is the confidence in your ability and confidence in all the things that you have done so right in your life that keep you far from Jesus. Because you see, you cannot look to Jesus and your ability. It is one or the other. The co- this kind of confidence in the flesh, I think, can creep in on us so subtly at times. And part of the problem, I think, is that all of our lives really revolve around the building and pointing to of our resumes. I mean, a great resume with listing all of your activities, your high GPA, your good ACT scores, that gets you in to a good university. I mean, you, you don't go in for, a, for an interview, for a job, and you don't say, I want to start with all of my faults and all of my shortcomings, all of the things that I've done wrong. No, you, you list all of your achievements and the things that you've done so well. We do it within our social circles. We, we, we tell ourselves, this is why I should belong to this group. Here, look at my resume. I should be on the inside of this group. We do it in our relationships. Many of you remember the dating world, right? I mean, that was just a constant comparison of resumes. And before too long, you figure out that the resume was probably a little bit better than the reality. Um, We do it with ourselves. I mean, we set standards for ourselves. And when we don't live up to those standards, when we don't live up to that resume, we beat ourselves down. See, so much of our lives is living by building and pointing to our resume. And Paul is saying that is dangerous and evil. It will keep you away from Jesus and out of his kingdom. You know, the Pharisees, they never really got Jesus. They never really understood him. I mean, they just could not figure out why this guy who claimed to be the son of God spent so much time hanging out with sinners, the prostitutes, the drunkards, the the adulterers, the thieves. He spent all that time. They couldn't understand it. Why isn't he hanging out with the people who really tried their best? And did their best to keep all these rules. I mean, surely God is a little bit more pleased with that kind of person. I know many of you are familiar with the parable of the prodigal son. And most of you have always thought that that parable uh, was about this younger son who took his daddy's inheritance and left home. But you forget what that, and I forget often, what that parable has to say about the older brother. And in that context, you can read it in Luke chapter 15, he is speaking to the Pharisees. And he wants them to see that they are the older brother in that story. So you see this younger brother, he leaves home, he takes his father's inheritance, and he was in big trouble, right? I mean, this little Jewish boy, he squanders everything. And he gets to the end, and he is about to eat from the pig's trough. And so he goes home, and to his surprise, his father comes running out to greet him and welcome him home. And they celebrate. And it is a beautiful picture of God running to the broken and to the lost and to celebrate over them. But what about the older brother in the story while all that partying is going on? I mean, he is ticked off. He is angry 
Where is my fattened calf? Where's my music and my dancing? I never disobeyed your orders. I always kept the list of rules. I deserve something. I wasn't the fool who took the inheritance and blew it all. You know, don't you think everyone should be making a fuss over me? Look how hard I tried and look at all the things I accomplished. And Jesus is saying to the Pharisees who put their confidence in the flesh, you are just like the older brother. You thought you deserved something because of who you are. Because you're such good people and because you work so hard at being right. And I think we are often just like that. I mean, you ask most people and they think Christianity is just doing your best. That's what Christianity is to most people. I'm telling you, do your best and try harder for a Jew of all people who are about to eat out of a pig trough is not good news. You and I hear that story and we think, oh, that's gross. He's about to eat with the pigs. But the pigs were ceremonially unclean for the Jews. I mean, you have to multiply your feelings by about a million to understand. that For someone to come along to him and tell him, do your best, it is absolutely horrible news when you're about to eat from a pig trough. It is a knife stuck in your heart and twisted. It is despair for the already broken. You have to hear me clearly on this. The party is not thrown for the man or the woman who gets straight A's in the Christian life, who has an impeccable resume. The party in heaven, it is always thrown over the one who has his head in the pig trough and who has no confidence in who he is or what he can do. Well, on to the second point, which is confidence in Christ. You know, I think the whole point of the Bible is written so that you would absolutely distrust yourself and trust in someone else. I mean, you read the Bible, and how can you place your confidence in yourself when you read the story of Adam and when he fell into sin? Because you're just like him. I mean, how can you you place your confidence in yourself and the stuff you do when you read the story of Abraham, who was a coward and was always lying to get himself out of trouble? How can you place your confidence in in your efforts in trying your best when you read the story of David and how he committed murder and how he committed adultery and then lied about it? How can you trust yourself when you read the story of Peter? It's not just an Old Testament thing, but look at Peter. I mean, he denies Jesus three times right after he swore that he would never do that. I mean, the point of the Bible is that you you would read it and you would say, this story has one hero in it. And it is Jesus. Everyone else is a mess. You can only find rest when you place your confidence in Jesus. So how do you do that, right? How do you, how do you go about placing your confidence and your trust in someone else, namely in Jesus? Let me tell you, this is where you have to start. You have to consider everything a loss. I mean, that's how you do it. Listen to verses 7 and 8. He says, but whatever was to my profit, and remember, he's speaking back to his resume, whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. I mean, do you think that Paul might just be trying to make a point here? I mean, three times in the span of two verses, he considers everything a loss. And once he tells you that he considers everything rubbish. 
you've got to hear me on this. The message of the gospel is not try a little harder. You cannot make God happy by doing your best. And trust me, God is not happy with Jesus plus a little you thrown in. I mean, it is all about his son. The message of the gospel is really this. Give up and rest in Jesus. And it's hard for us to do that. Hard for us to give up our resume, all the things that we have been looking at. It's hard for us to give up our self-righteousness. It's as hard for us to do that as it is for an alcoholic to give up cheap whiskey. As hard for us to do that as it is for a drug addict to kick his habit. I mean, the, the flesh is a horrible, horrible addiction. As far back as you can remember, you were always told, never give up. You know, you're learning how to ride your bike, right? Don't quit. Never give up. Every sports movie I have ever seen is all about someone never giving up. I mean, we love those characters. They never give up. They, they never quit. They keep persevering and pushing on. And I'm telling you that Jesus loves the quitters. He loves the people who would quit trying to earn his smile. I'm going to say this as plainly as I can. The gospel call is really a call to repentance. And that does mean repentance from your sins. But here God is saying that also means repentance from your very best things. Repentance from your righteousness. Turning from all you are and all you can do and trusting in Jesus. And the truth is, you'll never be able to give up until you figure out what all your achievements really amount to. Paul says it is worthless. None of it can make God happy with you. None of it can make you acceptable to God. He calls it a loss. But he goes further than that when he calls it rubbish, right? Rubbish, many of you know, is is a cleaned up version of the Bible from what the original actually says. I mean, the actual word is slang for excrement. And that's why some translations still say dung there instead of rubbish. I don't want to cause unnecessary offense, so we'll just leave it at that. Because I actually think that's cleaned up from the original. It's far more harsh than that, what Paul is actually saying. He, with his huge, impressive resume that Paul just listed, he is saying, all I am and all I could do count for dung. I mean, that's repentance from your righteousness. So how do you place your confidence in Christ? Well, first you give up on those things. You count them a loss. But placing your confidence in Christ also means that you gain him by faith. Everything is a loss compared to knowing Jesus. The end of verses 8 and 9. He says, I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Here's what happens when you let go of your resume. When you let go of all those things, you are actually free to grab hold of Christ. To grab, grab hold of him and to gain him, to be found in him. That's what Paul says. Then what, is, what does he say after all that? He says, not having a righteousness of my own that comes through the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. He's saying gaining Christ is about receiving a righteousness that isn't your own. Here's what he's saying. 
He's saying it's about getting Jesus' resume for yourself. A perfect and complete righteousness dropped into your account. See, the gospel is good news because it doesn't say try harder. The gospel is good news because it doesn't say, you know, get out of the pig trough and fix what you messed up and then God will be pleased with you. It's good news because it says rest and receive a righteousness that is not your own. Jesus has done it all and he has given to you by faith his resume. You know, it's interesting that Paul speaks here of being found in Jesus, found to have his righteousness. He's saying, God finds me. I don't find him. And when God finds you resting in Jesus, he doesn't see your list of accomplishments. He sees those of Jesus, his son, that same son that the holy God says about him, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. We have that resume. You know, I don't know if you noticed verse 1 when we started, but Paul says, it's no trouble for me to write these same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. He's saying that he is repeating himself. And I think the gospel ministry, according to Paul, is repetition. That's what it is. You don't need something new. What you need is Jesus and his righteousness. And that righteousness is complete and it never fades. And it is, Listen to me. It is the only righteousness that will allow you to fall asleep soundly after your very worst day of life. It, it is that same gospel, it is that same righteousness that will never allow you to boast on your very best day. Augusta National is one of the most beautiful golf courses in the world, if you didn't know. Um, it's where they play the Masters Tournament, which they'll be playing later on this week. Um, even if you've never played golf or could care less about golf, you've probably seen somewhere a picture or a clip of a famous golfer putting on a green jacket. You get that jacket when you win the Masters Tournament. You see, you can only get that green jacket by becoming a member of this exclusive course. And there are only 300 members in that course at any given time. And the waiting list will probably outlast most of our lifetimes to get in. Or you can win the Masters. That place is exclusive as they come. The only person who's actually allowed to wear one of those green jackets outside of the course grounds is the guy who wins the Masters that year, and he can only do it for one year, and then he has to return the jacket to Augusta National. In fact, the only people who can enter the clubhouse at Augusta National are the people wearing green jackets. See, you can get into the clubhouse too. You just got to become a member. And I, I don't think that's going to happen. Or this week, you could win the Masters. And I play golf with a number of you. And I know that's not going to happen. <laughs> I think it's safe to say, in this room, none of us are getting into the clubhouse. None, none of us are going to be eating in the clubhouse dining room. Without that green jacket, you cannot enjoy the privileges of that course. It's off limits to you. And the Bible is saying, a holy God who hates sin, he is off limits 
to anyone who doesn't have the right clothes on. And it's not a green jacket that makes you fit for his presence. It is robes of righteousness, and that is the only ticket in. There is no other way. I mean, you cannot earn these robes of righteousness. You cannot buy these robes of righteousness. You couldn't afford it with all of your achievements. This righteousness is out of your reach, the Bible says. You get it only when you give up and God clothes you with Jesus' righteousness. Isaiah 61, verse 10. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. What is the overarching application to all of this this morning? It is very, very simple. Rest in the righteousness of Jesus. And to truly rest in the righteousness of Jesus, you have to repent, not only of your sins, but also of your righteousness. Let's pray. Merciful Father, we thank you this morning that you have intervened, that you sent your Son, the one whom you love with perfect love, the one with whom you are so perfectly pleased. You sent him that he might be our substitute. You sent him that by his work of redemption he might clothe us with his righteousness. Father, I pray that you would work in all of our lives. As tempting as it is to look at our own resume, we pray that you would give us eyes of faith, that we may let go of all of it, that we would consider all of it rubbish, and that we would cling to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our only hope, who alone can clothe us with a perfect spotless and blameless righteousness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.